Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We have been journeying through a series on graceful exits, and we've covered some difficult things to gracefully exit from thus far, conversations and relationships. And today we're going to cover a very practical one, um, because we recognize that the church is not just esoteric, it's not just things of the mind and of thought and, you know, up here, but that we are people who live down here on the earth and that we have real interaction with others, not only within the body of Christ, but outside of it. And so it's important for us to recognize that the church should also give us some practical advice. It should help us live our lives, not just in here, but out there. And we hear this in the Apostle Paul's letter. He is telling not just the Roman church, but any church that would read his letters, that we are called to do some very practical things. Being a Christian does not preclude you from following the law. In fact, in United Methodism, we explicitly say that we are to follow the laws of the nation and the state, the local laws, wherever we are around the world, because Methodism is a global denomination, we are to be law-abiding people. Whether we are citizens of that country or not, we are meant to follow the law. And Paul is undergirding this. We actually subvert the gospel of Jesus Christ when we believe that it's okay for us to break the law. Because we are supposed to be a people who are abiding by what is good. And we have a lot of commandments that we are meant to follow. And of course, Paul does an excellent job, as Jesus does, of summarizing all of them in love your neighbor. You are not loving your neighbor if you are stealing from them. You are not loving your neighbor if you are coveting, hating them for what they have. You are not loving your neighbor if you are murdering your neighbor. You are meant to be a people who focus first and foremost on love. And so we have to think about that. Love doesn't always come naturally. Sure, there are some people that we just feel this wonderful love pouring out for, but love does not come naturally for us to love all people. And yet that is the charge, that we are called to love all people as God loves. And so Paul is here telling Christians that you have to pay attention to some things. You can't just think, I'm going to love Jesus and that's it. Instead, you have to pay attention. And today we're going to be talking about the reality of leaving a job. Now, some of you have already done this. Congratulations. You have permanently left your jobs. But lest we think it is only about a job or our career, it might be that you have other things that would come under the same auspices and headings. Perhaps it's you are now a volunteer in the church or in the community. Maybe you are part of a project that is happening in your family, in your circle of friends. It could be that you are now part of a group that endeavors to get together and do something pretty routinely together. And while you are not actually being reimbursed and paid, compensated for your time and your talent, you might have something that would be under the same heading and umbrella as a job in that you have responsibility, you are part of a group or even a structure, a hierarchy. And when the time comes for that to conclude, you need to think about how you are going to leave that position or that organization or even that job if that is what it is. And for 
a long time, people would go into a, a company and they would be with that company for their whole lives. They would have a career at one place. But more and more, as our economic positions change and more and more as the new cultures come in, most people will have a plethora of jobs with different companies. I couldn't even begin to think about all the different places I have worked because I've gone to three different colleges and every time I graduated, I would go to a new school and get a new job. And so just in my schooling alone, I had multiple jobs. And when I look back on it, I think, did I always leave gracefully? Maybe, maybe I did. But I also recognize that we are going to be in positions where we have to hand off things. And leaving a job, just like leaving any other organization or a position where we have had power and authority or we have had responsibility, requires us to think about transition. And that's what leaving a job is about, transition. How do you transition out? Paul is actually in the midst of a transition when he writes this letter to the Romans. He is in jail for the last time. He will be executed and he will be martyred for his faith. So everything that he says here is handing off to those that will follow him. Timothy, Titus, others within the church. He is turning over his last understanding, his theology, his lessons, his experience. He's turning it all over to them. That's why Romans is the longest letter. He has to get it all out now. This is his last opportunity. And we see this in other places in the scriptures. You'll notice that there's generally a handoff that is done in the scriptures. Moses was in charge of leading the people as the prophet throughout that time in the wilderness, led them out of the exodus from Egypt, out of their bondage and slavery for 400 years, brought them out. And then when it was determined that they were not quite ready to enter into the promised land, they started on a 40-year itinerant journey together. And at the conclusion of that, for reasons that are between Moses and God, Moses would not continue that journey. He handed off his power and his authority to Joshua. And so he had to have that transition. We call that transition the book of Deuteronomy. That is his letter to Romans, where you get all of his last words and his knowledge shared. And it happens with others as well. The prophet Elisha gives his knowledge and his authority to the prophet Elisha. We also have this happening in the New Testament. In addition to Paul and those that would come after him, Jesus ensures that this is what will happen. Sometimes we don't think about Jesus' earthly ministry as a job. Now, the Bible has two different ways of thinking about ministry, right? professional ministry. Sometimes it was in addition to a job that you did, like the Apostle Paul, he was a tent maker, and he used his job as a, as a means by which he could have conversations with new people and travel and plant new churches. And so for him, he was both a minister and a tent maker. But there are others who are professional clergy or professional ministers in their own right. Moses would have been one of these, and Jesus would have been one as well. When Jesus turned 30 and began his earthly ministry, that was the time when a man of his age would have risen into the ranks of supervisor or manager in the family business. 
he would have turned 30, his family would have ensured that he had a bride, and they would have gotten married, and they would have begun their own nuclear family, but still being part of the larger family. And Jesus, remember, was the firstborn, which meant that he would have been responsible for taking over the family business from his earthly adoptive father, Joseph. But that's not what happened. Jesus knew that he had to walk a different path, probably a path that was paved long before the creation of this earth, that Jesus knew that his earthly ministry would be his career and that he wouldn't have a separate job, that whether or not he was fed or clothed or housed would be entirely dependent upon that ministry and the resonance with other people that he blessed and served and communed with. And so Jesus' three years of earthly ministry was really his vocation. It was his job. And then he took on some employees in that, and that would have been the apostles, the 12. And they traveled, and they served, and they blessed, and they healed. And as they did this, people in gratitude would give them what they needed to survive. Sometimes that was hosting them in their homes. Sometimes that was simply feeding them or, or giving them money. But ultimately, this was his job. So if we understand that this is how Jesus was able to survive, it was how he made his living, then we have to look at how Jesus chose to exit that vocation. And that's precisely what we get on Holy Week from the Passover Seder on Thursday to the Passion and the Crucifixion on Friday. What we find is that Jesus is showing us how to transition out of one position into another. Jesus is no longer going to be just the Messiah. Jesus is about to be resurrected on the third day as the risen Christ. Whole new vocation. And so he has to turn over the ministry. He has to give over to those 12 what they will be doing and how they will be continuing and what will happen now that he is vacating this position and also helping to raise Peter up to a higher position of authority because Peter will be now the head of the church that will become. And so Jesus shows us what this looks like. If we look at the gospel account of John, what we find is that Jesus spends an inordinate amount of chapters trying to convey knowledge and wisdom and direction to the twelve. Instead of focusing on the institution of Holy Communion, the gospel account of John is focused on the knowledge and the wisdom that Jesus is giving them. In a little while, you will no longer see me, right? But I will be with you. Because I live, you will live. Jesus is helping them to understand the transition. He doesn't just simply die and they all go, I didn't see this coming. What is happening is that Jesus is trying to equip them, empower them, and give them what he has been holding in his position, power, and authority so that they can continue the work and it doesn't just fall apart. One of the things that we talk about in ordained ministry is that if you leave and a ministry completely dies, you have failed to properly put in place everything that needs to be so that ministry can continue. And so Jesus is the model for this. He shows us in how he is talking to his apostles and what he is saying to them, and he even says, you're getting a new authority. I am sending the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the comforter to come and be with you so that there will still be the presence of God with you. It won't be me. It'll be different. But I am not just abandoning you. I will not leave you orphaned, says Christ. 
And so he is showing us this. He goes further, that even from the cross, he shows us that we have to combat that propensity within us. If you've ever left a job and you wanted to leave the job, you were done, up to here, it was toxic, it was no longer productive, it was making you miserable, maybe you couldn't get along with your boss, whatever the reason was, that you didn't want to leave, that you didn't want to be there anymore and you wanted to leave, and you got to the end and you were like, I almost wish the whole building would just implode on all of you, right? Because I am done. But that is not what Jesus did. At the end of his ministry, at the conclusion, literally the last breath of his ministry, from the cross, he looks down and he sees there's one more thing I have to do. I can't leave loose ends. He looks down and he sees his mother and he sees the beloved disciple and he says to her, woman, this is your son and this is now your mother. Because as the firstborn, he was responsible for her. Having now been a widow, her care was entirely in his hands and he was dying. And he knew that now there needed to be someone in this society, a male, who would be responsible for her, who would care for her, love her, look out for her best interests, and ensure that because he was gone, she did not suffer and die. And so he doesn't just rain down hellfire and brimstone. He doesn't just say, I'm done, I'm out, figure it out when I'm gone. Instead, he says, there's one more thing I need to make sure is done. And he ensures that they are together. Now, sometimes when you come to the end of something, whether it's a job or not, when you come to the end of it, you almost feel this like anxiousness to be done with it. In school, we called it senioritis. Maybe there's like retirement-itis, I'm not sure. Transitionitis. I know that exists, transitionitis, right? Where you're like, I'm leaving. And one of the things that we discover in ministry is that when you transition, you can't have that attitude. You can't be like, well, I'm being reappointed so the whole church can implode in, in June because it's somebody else's problem in July. That's not cool. That is not Christian. And we can't do that to one another. First of all, I have to look at the person that's following after me at least once a year at annual conference. And the other thing is that I'm going to have to look at them a lot, hopefully, in the kingdom to come. So this is not how we should be behaving. We have to figure out how to transition. And every single day when I make a decision as the pastor of this church, I think about whether or not this is something that can and should be continued by whoever will follow after me. And I think about this a lot, that I need to make sure that when I leave that someone will be able to come in here and immediately hit the ground running, right? Because I will leave one day. I will be reappointed, I will retire, or I will die, hopefully in that order, and someone else will come. Crozet United Methodist Church predates me, and it should long postdate me. But we recognize that when you are in a place for any amount of time, and you have power and authority, that sometimes it can become wrapped up in who you are. And when you leave, if you haven't done the work of gracefully exiting, then people won't know what has to be done or, or who's now in charge of doing it. And so this is something that we think about a lot as clergy, that we have to be able to hand off the ministry. 
to the next person that's coming. Paul wrestled with this as well. Because of his ability to travel as a tent maker and go around and plant communities, he would stay in contact usually by visitor or by mail, sending a letter, in order that he could you know, give them a little guidance or help to resolve some major disputes, whatever the, the issue was that he could bring forth his gifts and his knowledge into. But one of the things he discovered is that sometimes he would plant a church and leave and then somebody else would come. And then people would become obsessed with, well, you know what, um, I, I'm much more about Paul than I am Apollos. And some people were like, no, 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 Paul's old news, I'm all about Apollos. And you had to realize that it's not about the person, it's about what they're doing in the job. It's about the role that they are in. And so we have to think about what it is that we need to, to hand off. That is the expectation in Scripture from Exodus all the way through Revelation. The, the standard is that we will not simply let everything go to Armageddon when we leave. Only one person gets to usher in Armageddon, and it's not the person retiring. It's not the person who is quitting or moving laterally to another company or getting a promotion in another company. The only person that gets to decide whether everything can literally go to hell in a handbasket is Jesus Christ. So we have to ensure that we are doing our best. Could you imagine if on that day of judgment, Jesus had your resume and was like, let's talk about how you did. And you're like, well, I did pretty good on these ones. He's like, but how did you leave? And you're like, well, I came better than I went. We don't get to do that. Fortunately, God is a God of grace. And if we have left under less than graceful, ideal circumstances, then we can find forgiveness. And maybe there's somebody that we can actually contact and apologize for that. But above all, we have to recognize that the next time we have an opportunity to turn over what we have been doing and, and any kind of authority and power that we held to another person, that we need to do that. We need to make sure that we do a handoff that there is a way to ensure that others don't suffer because of it. When a doctor leaves the surgical suite, they don't simply go figure it out. They let you know what happened so that the next doctor can come in and pick up. Because you don't want to be the patient on the table when nobody knows what's happening. You want to have confidence. And Christ is giving us confidence. So we need to make decisions and transition that reveal that same confidence. Now, in his practical advice to the Roman church and, frankly, every other church, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the reality of being a Christian in a world that is not yet under the lordship of Christ. There are realities that we have to face. you got to pay your taxes. Nobody ever says hallelujah to that one. You got to pay your taxes. Yes, you do. We got to pay our taxes. With revenue has been made, then you should pay it to the person to whom it is due. You can't withhold it as punishment or decided, you know what, I'm leaving and you've been really crappy to me for the last five years, so I'm not giving you a paycheck. That's not how this works. We can't be like that. That is not of Christ. That is of sinfulness. Give honor to people to whom honor is due. Respect to those whom respect is due. And sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes it's hard to respect an, uh, a person and honor the office, but that is who we are called to be, people that offer respect and honor to other people. But the next verse is my favorite. The next one says, Owe no one anything 
except to love one another. Now, that is not an easy thing to do. And the reality is that a lot of us are probably carrying around some kind of debt, whether it's a mortgage, a car loan, a student loan, a personal loan, credit card debt. Debt happens. But there's a difference between I'm in debt and I'm trying to dig my way out of being in debt and being faithful in my payments and not spending that money on an extravagant European vacation. Instead, it's about recognizing that you have work to do. Now, when I was 19, I was a bill collector, and I actually encountered this verse in a whole new way. I was working in an entire company of bill collectors, and one of my desk mates, we had large cubicles, one of my desk mates said, I want you to call this person. Now, routinely, they would have me call somebody because this job was in New Jersey, and I didn't sound like I was from New Jersey. So people would call me back. They're like, I don't know who this is, and she doesn't sound like she's from New Jersey. So they would call me back. And then I would be like, yes, you owe $3,000, you know, whatever, whatever the deal was. So this person says to me, I want you to call this guy. And I was like, why are you giving me this one? And then he goes, because he starts his name with Reverend. I want you to call him. Now, they knew that at some point I thought I had like a call to ministry and maybe one day I'd do it, blah, 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 whatever. They knew that, so they thought this was funny. They were like, okay, here we go. You can call this guy. And I was like, seriously, you want me to call the guy? You want me to call Reverend so-and-so? Yeah, he bought an RV and he won't pay for it. Okay. So he gives me the file and I read his notes and I see, you know, yes, sure enough, this guy whose name is Reverend so-and-so has bought an RV and has not been making the payments on the RV and they've made contact and here is his response. Would you like to know why he's not paying for his RV? Because God told him not to. Really? Okay. It's in the notes. So I know before we ever get on the phone to gird up my loins. So I get on the phone with him and I said, you know, I'm calling from this company because you have this RV and you are not making your payments and we need to know when you are going to make this right. When are you going to make it right? And he starts to tell me the line that God told me not to pay this. That's a lie. God didn't tell you to go out and buy a thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars RV and then not pay for it. That's called stealing, and God didn't tell you to do that. Jesus didn't steal. When Jesus wanted a donkey, he sent his two guys to say, tell them that the master needs it. And the guy's like, oh, the master needs it? That's fine. That's, that's okay. Take the donkey. Not go under the cover of night and steal away a donkey for me to ride into town tomorrow. That is not what happened. Jesus is very obvious about the fact that the guy probably said no, they wouldn't have to go get another donkey from somebody else. They weren't going to steal a donkey. Take what is due to you. That's why Jesus said, don't take a big purse. When people give you stuff, you take it. But you don't take things because they've given you nothing. That's not what you do. Even when they were fending for themselves and walking through a field and picking the grain, they were gleaning, which was part of their culture and how you could feed yourself if you were poor and hungry. They weren't stealing. They were gleaning. And so you've got Jesus setting a standard of do not steal. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's one of the big commandments. Do not steal. And so here was this reverend telling me that God told him to steal. Which sat really well with me, as you can tell. Well, this verse came to me 
Now, I didn't grow up quoting chapter and verse. That's not really my thing. My mother grew up Southern Baptist, you know, Bible sword drills. She was much better at that. I'm more of like, tell me what it means. Don't tell me where it came from. Tell me what it means in context of the story instead of just quoting me chapter and verse. But this came to me. Now, it came to me in the New King James because mom. But it came to me, and I remember saying to him, you are lying because in Romans it says, let no debt go unpaid except the continuing debt to love one another. Silence. You're going to like let it sit there for a little bit? So when are you going to send me a $200 check? Will you take it over the phone? Yes, I will. You're lying. You're profaning God with your reverend title, first of all. And second of all, now you're not just a thief, you're a liar and a blasphemer. But after that, I will tell you he made every payment <laughs> till I left the company. I think gracefully. I think I left gracefully. I don't know. But this is the point, right? You have to figure out how you're going to behave because people are watching. I don't remember that guy's name, but I remember the reverend title. How many people have you had a bad experience with? You don't remember their name. You may not even really remember the face, but you remember that they told you they were a Christian. Then they behaved like that. We can't do that. Whether or not we are leaving a job or retiring or transitioning to a new place and coming out of a position of power and authority, whether or not we are gainfully employed or not, we are Christians. We are disciples of the risen Christ. And we carry an expectation, not from God's people, but from God as to how we will behave. And so we have to think very carefully and thoughtfully before it happens. Some of you think very fast on the fly. Some of us need time to process and like, okay, if this ever happens, this is what I'm going to do. And that's why it's important for us to have practical conversations like this. How do you leave a job? And if you've ever had to work at a place where somebody didn't leave gracefully, you know. Or if you've had to come into a position where your predecessor didn't leave gracefully, you know. Why should you suffer because of a decision that somebody made that you had no control of? That is just as sinful as any other sin where it comes and wrecks havoc in your life. We can't do that. It is actually a sin in that case not to leave gracefully. Because you're causing pain and suffering to people who are innocent. Now, maybe you think I'm sticking it to the man or, you know, I'm making the company suffer. Maybe that's what that reverend thought. Maybe he thought he was, you know, making this company realize that, you know, they were overcharging for their RVs and their interest on his payment was ridiculous. But who he was really robbing from was the guy that sold him the RV and now couldn't get his commission check and take care of his family. Who he was really stealing from were the poor accountants who processed his loan and now couldn't be paid because he wasn't paying on the loan they processed. You're hurting the little people, but you convince yourself that you're righteous because you think you're hurting the big guy. But we are not a people who are called to hurt anybody. Jesus didn't get onto the cross and condemn anyone. He got on the cross that condemnation would stop and that we could be healed and whole. 
Come on back in. Hi. How are you? Did you have a good time? <laughs> She's coming to get the lost lamb. There we go. Whoop. He doesn't want to be lost. He doesn't want to be found. Aww. <laughs> Think about how you leave. Think about how you transition. Because it will happen. You will have a transition. And may you think about how you can leave because my siblings in Christ, that may be the only testimony you give about Jesus Christ. Not everyone is as fortunate as Paul and I to be able to talk about Jesus with their job. Not everybody has that ability. But you could be the person who in your extraordinarily grace-filled way of leaving speaks volumes about the goodness of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and what it actually means to be a Christian. That might be the only testimony you ever gave at your job, and it may be the only thing they actually remember. People don't always remember how you onboarded, but they remember how you left. And we serve a God who is the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, and God is watching our entire journey. So think about how you leave. Think about how you leave things for others. And think about how Christ has left things for us. The future is a lot brighter and more beautiful because of the way that Christ left and the promise that he will come back. May your next exit be as grace-filled as it possibly can be. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.